Hey, uh, the youth are dismissed. Uh, those of you who are youthless will stay here. I'm, I'm going to be speaking on Joshua 5 and 6 this morning. Uh, last week, Glenn uh, spoke and went into chapter 7, which covered uh, Rahab the prostitute. So he thought on Mother's Day, it might be better not to cover Rahab the prostitute as the subject. I don't know. So uh, this will be going back a bit if you're uh, kind of taking notes. I know many of you do. So chronologically, we're not going to be um, following what he was speaking on. We'll be leading into it. Uh, chapter 5 and 6 are where the, the Israelites are coming towards Jericho. And uh, God gives the instructions on how to, how to take the city. Uh, the, the theme is supernatural in all situations and living with divine focus. And I love what uh, I could actually preach the sermon on what you said today. <laughs> it's so uh, in tandem with the scripture that we're covering in uh, Joshua. I said Jeremiah earlier. So um, you remember the Israelites had been wandering in the desert for 40 years because of their disobedience, because of their naive uh, understanding, because they kept circumstances as their focus instead of God as their focus. So now they've spent the 40 years, they're crossing the Jordan, they're coming into the promised land, and God is leading them uh, to conquer the land, to take it over for their inheritance as promised. However, they recognize there are a lot of barriers. There are giants in the land. There are fortified cities. Um, And so they're coming into this promise knowing Uh, the resistance and the problems they're going to have. And so if you are taking notes, I'll just um, line them up here for you at the beginning. So we need to live with divine focus. A lot of scripture, as you know, the accounts of scripture are used to make application in in your personal life. It's not just history. It's the uh, spiritual principles that guide uh, humanity or that ought to guide humanity as we live with uh, God in mind. So we're going to cover the divine focus, both the perspective and the vision. We're going to talk about holiness, God's place in our lives, and what's our responsibility in that. So when we move to divine focus, uh, we can look at Joshua 5, 13 to 14. It says, When Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And then Joshua fell face down on the ground in reverence and asked, What message does the Lord have for his servant? This is the critical perspective to begin the entire conquest, the entire um, fulfillment of the promises and taking the land that, that God had promised Israel was to shift the perspective of their leader from the us against them to this is God's story and it's for his glory. Even our lives. Our lives are not our story. Our lives are his story. And it's for his glory. And so as we, as you go through Joshua reading how all the principles that God put in place for them to succeed it's not just about, oh, so if I do that, I, my, I'll make my story successful. It's, it's not your plan for your life. It's not even your plan to bring God glory. 
It's his plan to bring himself glory. And each of us has that story. And so that's, if we're going to be successful in life following uh, the Lord, we have to shift from, oh, I'm going to impress God, or I'm going to do what is necessary to fulfill what he's given me. It's literally his story, his glory. And so that's the end part, of course, is our obedience. So we have to shift into that perspective to be followers of Christ, followers of the Lord. And so the perspective uh, is in the New Testament as well. It says, In him, in Jesus, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory, his story, his glory. You also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. It talks about your whole calling in Christ is his story for his glory. Now, we can look at that and go, yeah, well, what about, I mean, in our humanity, we think I'm independent. This is my life. What's going on here? I get to live my life. I'm a free person. Uh, that's the foolishness of humanity, actually. <laughs> that's not the wisdom of man. That's the foolishness of man, not to see that God is creating his story, history. And to come into obedience to that and to, to, to find that path, to me, is freedom. It's like, okay, if God has his story and it's his glory and my life is part of his story, the barriers that in, are in my way must be designed for his glory. And they're barriers that are in his way, not my way. doesn't matter how huge they are. And this is what I loved about Jerry's story. You can hear the, the hint through all of that. It's like, these are monstrous things that we face. This is the walls of Jericho we're facing. How are we ever going to succeed? It's his story. It's his glory. And the problems that are in his way are his problems. Certainly he leads us through them. And so whether you think your problems are small or insurmountable, if we don't keep that shift in focus that, God, this is in your way. What's my role in addressing what's in your way? In my story, that's your story. We have to keep that focus or we will, in desperation, of course, grab a hold of these difficulties and try to solve them and try to solve them. And we tend to push God out of the way to solve these problems because we feel under pressure. We feel like conquering Jericho is our responsibility. And so we have to keep that focus. Uh, are you for us or for them? Neither. This is my story. <laughs> and the difficulties I will solve. It's for my glory. And so he says in all of this, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know his love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. 
Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory. In the church and in, Jesus, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Again, this perspective, we have to grasp how massive his plans are for himself and for each person who follows him and for the world in general. And that he's able to do everything that needs to be done to fulfill that for his glory. This is the message through scripture uh, constantly, that to have confidence that God will work out. That's the perspective we need to have. And then the vision. So perspective is what you believe to be the setup. Vision is actually seeing it. Seeing that that perspective is certain. Joshua 6, 1 to 2 says, The gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its kings and its fighting men. Now, in the natural, this is nonsense. You can't see what hasn't happened. You can hope for it. You can pretend. You can confess it. But beyond that, God was asking Joshua to actually see it. See that it is true. See that it is settled. It's a fact. And that's, that's the difficult part. Um, when Jerry was speaking again, <laughs> at, at the end, it was like, this is difficult. Here's what we're facing. And for you who are facing things, she said, it will happen. God will carry you through. But if God hasn't carried you through, how can you see it? And so this is, this is faith. This is seeing what has not yet happened. Hebrews 1. Faith is confident in what we hope for. And it's the assurance of what we do not see. So faith is the ability to see what's unseen. And we can only do that if we know it's God's story, it's his glory. The problems that are in his way are his responsibility. And so that's the kind of faith. Uh, Faith goes beyond... I think of faith as kind of the eighth sense. You know, we have the five physical senses that we interact with our world. Sight, smell, taste, touch, hearing. And then the two human senses. Common sense, we say it is, which is kind of an oxymoron. (laughs) And nonsense, the one we tend to live in. And faith is the opposite of nonsense. Faith is the sense of seeing what is unseeable. Seeing what doesn't visibly exist. And nonsense, oddly enough, calls faith nonsense. Humanity would look at this statement, see, I've delivered Jericho into your hands, and say that's nonsense. And when we're stuck in nonsense, we don't realize we're the ones stuck in nonsense. And we walk by sight and not by faith. Because faith seems like nonsense to those who refuse to treat life as God's story for his glory. And we try to manage it ourselves. And we fall into this nonsense and live life uh, apart from faith. And so we have to be able to see it. 
2 Corinthians, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Now, again, humanity would look at our situations and and say, no, you are perplexed, you are persecuted, you are struck down, you're destroyed. Nonsense pretends or sees what's real and cannot see beyond. And faith reaches beyond to see what God has. Second Corinthians continues, Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, we see, uh, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. How hard is it for you to keep your eyes on the unseen? And the the, the passage in the title they gave me to speak on was living with divine focus. Seeing what's divine, not natural. That's a difficult task. Uh, Depending on what culture you live in, you have different temptations. And we say, oh, it's much easier in certain countries because they're all full of faith. And they say, ah, hold it here. Every human being, <laughs> doesn't matter what environment or culture you're in, is tempted to live by what is seen and not what is unseen. And we as God's people are called, see, I've given you the city, even before the city has fallen. And so we need to live with this vision, this ability to see what is eternal. So our job is to keep the right perspective. It's God's story. It's for his glory. The problems are his. Our vision is to see uh, what he promises for us, what he gives to us. Now here's our responsibility, holiness. God's place in our life is in the center. Now there's, there's often these just sentences in scripture you can just read as a fact and carry on. But if you take the time, and I know most of you probably do, you're just to extract sentences or passages and just sit and ruminate on them. There's so much richness in Scripture. So when you read these couple of verses in Joshua 6, it says, When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. So there were warriors in front and warriors behind. God's presence, represented through the priests and the Ark of the Covenant, were in the center of the procession. And the only way, the only way to remain in God's story for his glory is to keep him in the center of our lives. He was to be central for a reason. And so we look at this and we go, why would he... Oh, it must be because they were weak. That was the weak part. No, not at all. (laughs) In fact, the the warriors in front and the warriors behind didn't do anything 
to make the walls fall, <laughs> as you know how the story goes. And so the center was the strength. The center was the focus. And God's, uh, God's presence needs to be center of our life for us to remain holy, for us to uh, walk in his story. When things are prospering and, and, and when we need protection, he needs to be centered. Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. You cannot prosper unless God is doing the work for his story in your life. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise up early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. And so in prosperity and for protection, God needs to be central. Your efforts, he's saying, your efforts in my story are actually kind of useless if I'm not the one empowering you, if I'm not centered, if it's not my power working through you, your efforts are actually useless. Some people, uh, you know, in humanity, we think that's kind of insulting. It's my life. It's my I find that incredibly refreshing. <laughs> but I'm actually not responsible for how my life goes. I'm not responsible to get anywhere. It's not my job to build the house or to watch over the city. It's my job to obey him. If he asks me to do the actions that look like building the house and look like watching over the city, I do those actions. But the power is his. Because it's his story. It's his glory. And so in prosperity or protection, it's God that needs to be center in our life. Now, leading up to this conquest of Canaan, the promised land, God had warned them that you're going to face difficulties, but he also warned them, here's a bigger problem. You're going to face prosperity. How many of you realize prosperity in Scripture is just as dangerous as the walls of Jericho? When you succeed, what happens? They spelled it out even before they got into that situation. Before they crossed into the promised land, Moses sat them down. And God, through Moses, said, When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am about to give you. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands has produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. His warning was, you're going to face difficulties. Serve me, seek me, remember me. But you are also going to prosper. When you prosper, remember me. Remember it's me who gives you the ability. And so whether in prosperity or in the need of protection, we need to understand it's God at work in us. As well in the planning and the providence. Um, I don't know if you're like me. I'm sure you are. <laughs> uh, 
we tend to look at life, especially in North America, where there's a lot of variables and variety. Um, you look at some of, you know, kind of the ancient tribes or even some of the remote tribes that exist today. Uh, their life is made up of food and survival, basically, and very simplified, and their threats are real and, and, and known. In North America, especially, we have, we can, I can become this, I can become that, I can become this. We, we tend to have a wide, a more wide open uh, option as far as a path forward. And we often get into the mindset that I need to plan well. Anybody ever fall into that mindset? I need to plan well. Okay. <laughs> Let's look at that. James 4. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, all such boasting is evil. Does he say you shouldn't plan here? No. He simply says, when we plan, we need to keep God's center. If the Lord wills, here's what I will do. And so it's not, it's not unwise to plan, but it is unwise to presume that you can plan well enough to build that house, to guard that city. Remember, he said, unless the Lord does it, it's all in vain. And so he gives us the wisdom to use our noggins, because we live in the Oko noggin. <laughs> anyway, sorry. ADD rabbit trail, thanks to Tobias. Um, we, we need to use the wisdom he gives us, but always subjecting it, if this is what you want, it, it's like, it seems to me this is wise, God. I'm going to take these steps. If it's your will. If it's not your will, I pray this a lot. <laughs> if it's not your will, what seems obvious to me is not your will, get in my way. Stop me. I don't care. Whatever you need to do, hopefully it's the still small voice and not the, <laughs> you know, the angel standing in front of me with a sword. Uh, but if I'm off the path, please get in my way and steer me in your way. So I will use my wisdom that I feel is, is right but it's always subjected if it's your will. And he will get in your way <laughs> if you leave your life open to him using your, your own wisdom as he provides, but always subjecting it to the uncertainty of, of what you're limited to. And so he asks you to plan and he will provide, but we do not just rely on our planning. Our responsibility also includes living aware of his presence. This was quite interesting to me when I look at in this passage back in Joshua 6. I'll read it again. It says, When he had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets, and, and the ark of the Lord of the covenant, Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpet, and the rear guard followed the ark. We need to live, be aware that God's presence is what's central in our lives. We can't just once in a while 
remember, oh yeah, oh yeah, God too. We don't add him to our equation. (laughs) He is the equation. We're the ones being added. And so to live with the mindset of God's centrality in our life, living not just knowing it, not just perspective like we talked about earlier, not just seeing how it is and knowing that, uh, but actually being aware of it, living with the awareness that God's here, God's present, living with the divine focus. Um, in the Old Testament, the, uh, when they had given the law to the Israelites, uh, they said, fix these words of mine in your hearts and on your minds, tie them in symbols, uh, as symbols on your hands and bind them to your foreheads. Joshua, at the beginning of the chapter, says, keep this book of your law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night. In the Old Testament, they used to make headbands with a little box that came down <laughs> with symbols of the scriptures so that literally it was always near their mind. It was symbolic. Of we want to keep God's word constantly uh, in our presence, constantly in our awareness. Um, so it was this external evidence. Do you know that communion in the New Testament has the same purpose? 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five. it says, In the same way after supper he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, I used to be a, a Greek geek. I used to love to look up Greek words and uh, look at the history and the formation and the roots and all that. And one that I studied was this word remembrance. It comes from the word anamnesis. Now, it sounds very similar to our word amnesia. And the prefix an means against or opposite or not. And so amnesia. Don't. Amnesia. But it's different than we may be thinking because remembrance has a few different ways you can look at it. We November 11th every year, we celebrate Remembrance Day. How many of you this morning were thinking about the soldiers who had fought in the world wars for our safety? No. So our thoughts on November 11th are to bring back to mind the thought of the soldiers' sacrifices. Remembrance Day was, you can leave it in your stored memory and not be thinking about it 364 days a year, but one day a year we're going to dedicate to bringing those thoughts back and regurgitating and ruminating and thinking about them again. That's not what anamnesis means. Anamnesis does not mean let it drift for a while, but bring it back once in a while to keep it fresh. Anamnesis is the opposite of that. Anamnesis is don't let it get to the back of your mind. We do this so that we don't have to recall it. It's always here. Do this to keep in mind the body and the blood and the sacrifice of Christ. And so that's why they did it often. And and, and Glenn mentioned last week, I think, we're going to start doing communion every week or I think every two weeks. The frequency... But the whole purpose is that the frequency, he said, do this often to keep it in mind. Because if we don't keep Christ central, when we get into difficulties, we will think they're our battles. When we get into prosperity and everything's going well, we'll think it's our success. If we don't keep Christ central, 
we will amnesia. <laughs> we will forget to remember that it's him. This is his story. It's his glory. And we're living it out um, according to his will. And that's why we need to guard that. You, you remember the processional. It was the Ark of the Covenant and the priests in the middle. God's presence in the middle. Guard ahead, guard behind. <laughs> we need to guards, uh, guard God's central place in our lives. And not just the frequency of communion and of gathering together and of prayer and, and study of scripture and, and those things that keep him in mind. But he also says, guard that place. And this is where, in, even in the communion passage, it says, examine yourselves, examine yourselves. Make sure nothing else is nudging him out of, cent- of the central place in your lives. The psalmist said, search me, God, know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me, and then lead me in the way everlasting. We need to guard uh, his place in our lives. It's not always just automatic. And then finally... Obedience is kind of the reason for the outflow of keeping him central. Sometimes he's very specific on what he wants you to do. You look through Joshua here, he was very specific. Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, seven priests will carry the trumpet, march around the city, guards ahead and guards behind the Ark, blow the trumpets, don't, don't give a war cry, don't raise your voices, don't even say a word till I tell you to, then shout. It's very detailed uh, on how he's going to carry out his story in your life. And sometimes he does that for us. Sometimes it's very obvious he's asking me to do this. But other times we come back to this passage in James where it's more general, where we have to make sure we're not planning things as though, hey, we will do this. He says, yeah, 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 make plans, but always say, if it's the Lord's will, we will do this. So we use our wisdom in a general sense, subjecting it to his will. But it's always about obedience. It's always about guarding our ability to live out his story for his glory. So just in conclusion, I again, so much of your story was exactly this. It doesn't matter if it's highs or lows. Certainly it affects us. We often think when things are desperate, that's when we really go to God. He warned us, no, when things are good, you need to make sure you come to me so you don't forget. Four times he said, so you don't forget, so you don't forget, so you don't forget. And that was when things were going well. And so I'm just going to, we'll just close in prayer um, with that. I want you to think of your own lives. Where are you in your own life? You know, we can look at our lives as, oh, there's ups and downs. The oscillation is not what's important. It's the vector. It's where are we headed? And can we see what God wants for us? It doesn't have to be specific, but can we see what he wants for us and from us? And so let's close our eyes and we'll just submit our our path to God, uh, his path to him, I should say. Father, we're we're ultimately aware through scripture that... um, The Israelites many, many, many times looked at how things were going and they were desperate because my life's not working out the way I thought it should. Please, God, come and make my life work out for me. And and he always corrected them that they can have faith. They They can understand that he has a plan. And so we look at that and 
We want to subject our lives again fresh. So whatever seems like it's right in front of me might be a wall of Jericho or it might be an amazing blessing. In either case, we need to be so aware that this is your story. God, what's, what's my next step for your glory? Guide me. Give me wisdom that I can make choices and plans that seem obvious and, and seem uh, for your glory. But if something goes wrong, please stop us. If it is your will, we will do this or that. Other times we feel so stuck, Lord, we need specific ideas. We need specifics from you. Give us the wisdom and the patience to wait for you to speak and not just go ahead with the best thing that seems obvious for us. Give us that kind of insight and wisdom, Lord. We pray in all things, Father, that uh, you would continue to guide and direct us. We want to give you control so that your story is crystal clear in our lives and that your glory is the, the result. Give us wisdom, we pray, as we encourage each other in, in, our, in the journeys that we see you're taking us on. And together as a church as well, give us wisdom and understanding that whatever we do would be for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Um, if you came this morning and you want prayer for something specific that you would... Uh, like others to pray and carry the load with you. Please just come to the front. There's elders and, and leaders here that would love to pray with you. Other than that, God bless you. Thank you. Dream your heart above